Um, as was said earlier, my name's Mel. Um, I work for a mission agency that seconds me back to Riverside Church to work as a cross-cultural community worker. And I've been doing that since 2007. And we are, as a family, part of Riverside Church family and have been for 20 years or so. So um, if that doesn't age me too much, it's just such a privilege to be here. So this series, The God Who Is... Dot, dot, dot. Last week, we heard from Alice about the God who is faithful, and that was such an amazing message. Um, this week, we're going to hear about the God who is hope. I had a friend at school called Hope, and I remember, even as a child, I must have been about 10 or 11, thinking, that is an awesome name. Like, whenever someone calls her, they speak potential over her life. Like, how cool is that name? So hope is an amazing stabiliser in life, isn't it? It steadies us in times of fear and difficulty. It's not because we know that everything's going to turn out as we want it to, but because we know God is trustworthy. And current times, COVID, pandemic, restrictions coming back around the world, shootings in Plymouth, Earthquake in Haiti yesterday, Taliban on the rise in Afghanistan, climate crisis, I could go on, but I don't want to. We need hope more than ever. In Jeremiah 17, in Hebrew, Jeremiah describes God as the hope of Israel. Now I'm going to try and pronounce it in Hebrew. Mikwei Yisrael. That is the name of God in Hebrew. When we pray to Mikwei Yisrael, the hope of Israel. We are praying to the one who saves all of us who trust him. Isn't that amazing? Now, on the contrary, I looked up in the Oxford Dictionary definition what hope is. And it says, I, a belief that something you want will happen. Now, to me, that just conjures up images of having to get your own strength to hope for something. That's something that may or may not happen. It's within your own strength and energy. But the biblical hope is a new kind of strength. It enables us to be patient and enduring, regardless of what we're facing. So hope is what helps us to stay on course, regardless of circumstances, isn't it? Biblical hope finds itself in God and in his goodness and his mercy and his power. Our hope is like a muscle that we exercise when we wait patiently. We nurture our hope when we read God's word. And our greatest hope is aimed at the life to come, when God will not only wipe away our tears, but invite us to share in his joy forever in heaven. Now, in the Old Testament, hope often was connected to the expectation that God is a deliverer who will save those who trust him, like he saved the Israelites who were fleeing slavery in Egypt. Hope urges us to wait confidently for him to act. And in the New Testament, hope is rooted firmly on Jesus Christ, on his life, his death, his resurrection, as well as his coming again. We can have this hope for our life because the Holy Spirit lives in us, recreating the image of Christ in us. So hope on earth, Jesus. When Jesus came all those years ago, he was the gift of hope to humanity. He was known as Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God with us. He arrived in, an, in a time in history that was in such turmoil politically, and he came and he brought hope. We need hope this year. We need to be signposted to hope. The pandemic, as well as many other things, make us re-examine what hope is about. 
But hope is here, and it has a name. His name is Jesus. A week ago, today actually, I was in the city of Bath in northeast Somerset with my family. And I, we were tourists there. And you know those tourist maps that you see that are kind of cartoonized, a bit 3D? And often, which I find really helpful, because as James will tell you, I'm not the best map reader. It has a big arrow that says, you are here. And I'm like, yay, I know where I am. Um, but that really spoke to me as I was kind of thinking about preparing this talk that we know when we have hope, we are at that point in the map where we know where we are. It helps us to be orientated. It helps us to understand our context and gives us a bigger perspective. And it gives us a sense of safety and direction. So we see where we want to be. We need to be at that point on that map, using that as a metaphor of hope in our lives. When we're some, somewhere else, we need to get back to that place of hope. How do we get there, though? Now, I'll just tell a story from my life when I lost hope. And there were so many stories I could choose from. Because I'm telling you, I'm up here from a place of weakness. This is not a place of strength in my life. So I just chose this one story out of hundreds. Um, when I was pregnant with Lucy, our third child, uh, James very quickly was ill after a virus. And he was lying on a sofa all day. He couldn't get up for more than 10 minutes a day. And the doctors didn't know what it was. And after months and months, they eventually diagnosed chronic fatigue, or ME. And that is when I started to spiral, because I knew people who had ME. And I just thought, this is going to be years. This is our life now. I'm about to have a baby. How is this going to work? We already had a two and a half and a four and a half year old boys who were lovely, but oh so loud. And oh, so active. They still are. They're outside. You can probably hear them. Um, so I was thinking, how on earth is this going to work? And I just lost hope. I, I took my eye off the mark. I wasn't at that point in that map that gave me that sense of orientation and safety. And it was actually when Judy did a talk at Riverside on Romans 15:13, that verse that we just heard. I'll just read it again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I had read that verse many times, and I hadn't really clocked the second half of it. Overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's got nothing to do with my power or my strength. It's everything to do with the Holy Spirit and God's power in me. So that's when I got to my knees, and I just was saying to God, I can't do this. You need to give me this hope. And it's not just a hope that fills us up. It's a hope that overflows, absolutely flowing from us. And that is the generosity of God and his Holy Spirit. It is supernatural. It is more than just an act of the will or choice. Our hope is alive because the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ is alive. Hope is here. His name is Jesus. So I got to that place on the map where hope was. Mikweh Yisrael was here God of hope. I just want to talk about four characters from the Bible briefly and when hope came into their life and how they reacted. So first of all, Zechariah. He was the father of John the Baptist. And in Matthew 3, it says that John the Baptist, his purpose was to prepare the way for the Lord. He went out into this land that was in complete turmoil and was speaking hope out to the people there about a saviour, about a messiah coming. 
Now, Zechariah, before John was born, was, was visited by an angel. We're, we're told this in Luke chapter 1, verse 11. He was told he was going to father a baby with his wife, Elizabeth, even though, and I quote, they were both well on in years. I love that description. Basically, they're really old. So Zechariah's response to this angel wasn't great, to be honest. He actually questions the angel. I mean, who questions an angel? But that's another talk. How can I be sure of this, he says. How can I be sure that what you're saying is true? Now, Zechariah was in a place of utter disappointment, not hope. He wasn't at that point in the map that gave him hope. He was somewhere over here. And Zechariah was silenced. He became mute. He couldn't speak until the day that John was born in verse 20. Now, John was going to be a signpost to hope. Zechariah was silenced to get to where hope was. So to get to where hope is, sometimes we have to silence disappointment. We have to choose to go to where hope is. We have to choose to ask God to help us. So maybe there's disappointment in our lives, but hope is here. We need to get from where we are to where hope is. The second person I'm going to talk about is Elizabeth, Zachariah's wife. Now, she lived her whole adult life in shame. She was caught up in the stigma that was rife in that culture, and still is in some cultures today, even cultures right here in our city, that says that a woman's worth is determined by her ability to bear children. Now, Elizabeth was married to a holy man, check. Both were described in verse 6 of Luke chapter 1 as being upright in the sight of God, check. But they had no children. Massive stigma in that culture. Elizabeth was stuck with this label of inadequacy. But hope was coming to remove this disgrace and this shame from her life. When hope came, she had to let go of feelings of inadequacy and other labels that made her feel shame and disgrace. She had to embrace hope that she literally got to carry in this season. So maybe hope is here, but there's a feeling of shame or inadequacy that's got you over there. It's time to move back to where hope is. Joseph. Hope arrived to Joseph in the message that he was going to have a child with Mary, but it wouldn't be his own child. And it tells us in Matthew that Joseph had to go through a huge amount of mental gymnastics to work out what to do. This isn't what I planned. What will people think? What will I do? Should I leave Mary? There was just so much shame of not being married and Mary pregnant. Inconvenience of hope. Sometimes hope is inconvenient. It changes our plans. But when hope arrives, our plans might change, but it's always for the best possible outcome for us. It's never to harm us. And Joseph obeyed. He changed his plans for God's plans. Mary, her plan changed because of hope, didn't it? An unwed teenage girl. Hope arrives. You're going to carry a saviour. How do you take that in? And fear began to speak up in her life and grow and grip her. But the angel reminded her, one of the first things he said to her was, fear not. So that when hope is here, fear must leave. We leave that place of fear, and we move into that place of hope, which is alive and life-giving. So we need to move ourselves to where hope is. So when Zachariah moved to hope, his tongue was loosed. And he declared the name John over his son. John means God has been gracious. He spoke future out before he saw it. 
When Elizabeth was moved to hope, it says that she burst into song. Her sound changed. When she moved from this seclusion and this stigma into an incubation of hope, she couldn't help but praise God. And Joseph, he said yes to the actual plan God had for his life. And then everything just began to line up in accordance with God's plan. And Mary said yes to receiving what God had asked her to do. And it says that she began to sing and prophesy as well. And when the prophets in the temple, Simeon and Anna, held baby Jesus for the first time, they began to let out words about the future. Like Elizabeth, their sound changed when they encountered hope. And it will for us too, when we hold on to that hope, when we get into the vicinity of hope. And as Christians, those of us who call us followers of Jesus, we are used by God, whether we like it or not, to signpost people to hope in the world. And don't we need it? People are asking directions to where hope is. They may not be using words like that, but they are asking, where is hope in this world? And when you ask someone for directions, you need them to give you directions that are clear, and they need to know what they're talking about. Unlike a guy that James and I found in Australia when we got lost, who told us the directions of where we were trying to get to, and like in such detail, like every colour of every house that we were going to drive past. But it was in the wrong direction, and we were even more lost. So as Christians, we are the people that people can ask directions to where hope is on that map. And we know the way, don't we? We know the way. I just want to talk about a guy called Isaiah just for a second. He was this massive giant of a... Of in Hebrew literature. He was like the Shakespeare of Hebrew times. He was an advisor to the king of Judah, and he was a prophet from God, which just means that he heard from God and he told God's people what he heard. Now, he prophesied about hope coming, Jesus coming, about 700 years before Jesus was born. He said in Isaiah chapter 9, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Hope is coming. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Hope is coming. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Hope is here. Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Hope is coming. Prince of Peace. The greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Hope is coming. So why are we over here when we need to be here where hope is? It's a choice, it's an act of the will, but it's also supernatural. Where are you on that map today? So we, as a church, step up to this challenge of pointing people to where hope is. And we, as individuals and Christians, we remember that as God was with us in our past, he is with us in the midst of whatever storm we face now, and he will take us to our future. Today we're used to instant gratification, aren't we? Amazon same-day delivery, instant messaging on WhatsApp, instant answers to questions on Google. But we know that God doesn't work immediately sometimes. Sometimes he does, but often he doesn't. But you can be sure he is still our living hope, and all our time is in his hands. We need to be expectant in hope of God's goodness, to break into our family situations, into our marriages, into our parenting, into our church, into our communities, no matter how long God takes to do it. And as Christians, we know that we endure suffering. 
don't we? We're not above suffering just because we follow Jesus. We have righteous anger too at the injustices that we see around the world, or even that we're in the midst of now. But we are blessed to be a blessing of hope to the world. God uses us. We as Christians believe in the goodness of God. This is our living hope. So we will yearn and pray and work for God's love to break into the darkness. Tony Benn was a British politician. He's a Christian in the 60s and 70s. He, quote, he says, and I quote, you need two flames burning in the human heart. One, the flame of anger against injustice. And two, the flame of hope to build a better world. So we hold these two in tension. Yes, it's okay to be angry about the things that we see and the suffering. We don't understand it. We don't understand why it's there. But we equally have this hope that we can build a better world, that God can use us to bring hope to the world. So we need to be real with God, don't we? We're not going to scare him away with our big emotions or our doubts or confused thoughts. He actually really welcomes them. And finally, as Christians, we have a hope of heaven, of eternal life. It is real. God has prepared us for so much more than we fully see in this world. He has greater things in store than we can imagine. But how does the reality of heaven give us hope in our everyday lives today? How does that give us hope? Well, firstly, the world isn't all we have. It's going to pass away. And as believers, we know that death, cancer, addiction, exploitation, abuse, illness, debt, it doesn't have the final say. Jesus conquered death. And because of this, we have an eternity to look forward to. We don't understand everything, and that's okay. We don't need to understand it. But we can be confident that because heaven is real, we have hope for the future and hope in our lives now. In the midst of life's storms, we have the hope of eternal life. No matter what we're facing, we know it won't last forever. We weren't made to find hope only in earthly things. The writer of Hebrews says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Our living hope is in the living Christ alone. He is our anchor for the soul. He is firm and secure and steadfast. When we remember that, we don't have to panic when things change. We have a choice every day to keep our eyes firmly fixed on what God has promised now and in heaven. I remember at a time when our son, Zach, was about three or four, and he was looking up at me, and he just says, Mum, when you look up, you can't look down at the same time. And that God really spoke to me about not looking down in my own inward problems and situations, keep my eyes fixed up to God and to see the hope that he can bring to the situation. So we don't have to be afraid. We believe that Jesus, our living hope, has prepared a place for us in heaven. And he will wipe away every tear for the last time. He will take all pain away, all suffering. Fears will vanquish. Worries will be no more. It's literally a place of purpose and joy. Our struggles and battles will finally end. It's hard to imagine, isn't it, as we're just... We're so human, we're caught up in the now, in the struggle. And it's tough for us to comprehend an eternity of no more pain and sorrow. But heaven really is a place of joy and freedom and life. So if you've ever experienced pain or betrayal, struggled through addictions or walked the painful road through trauma or abuse, dashed dreams, 
There is still hope ahead. Heaven is truly a place where the old is gone and the new has come. The struggle and pain we carry here will be lifted away. We will be healed. We'll be set free from the burdens that weigh us down. Our bodies will be transformed and we'll be made new. And so God has great purpose for us in heaven if we are given a new body and if we are given eternal life. We can't comprehend it. Our minds aren't big enough. But knowing that this life isn't all we have to look forward to helps us to keep going through the tough times, doesn't it? God's powerful presence is greater than any darkness we may be facing on this earth. There is no darkness in heaven, just light. And Jesus spent time, more time talking about heaven in the Bible than any other person. The hope Jesus gives us isn't just nice-sounding, positive words. It is real and it is life-changing. And God knows the ache we carry, the questions we wrestle with, the doubts that niggle. He reminds us that there is still hope of glory ahead. Life is short. The days seem long sometimes, and the battle feels intense and fierce. But as we look towards what he is preparing us for, may it give us every bit of strength we need right now to press on and be the hope signpost to a dark and suffering world. The Bible is full of stories of those used by God to signpost people to hope. We need to be real, and we need to not minimise our own difficulties or problems and just say, I'm fine, everything's fine, which is what we do sometimes, isn't it? We are not above suffering because we follow Jesus' teachings. We are allowed to be real. But we know that no matter how dark or ugly or cruel the life at the moment seems or the things that we see in this world are, we have a living hope. And he holds us, he sustains us, he enables us to endure, and he calls us more than conquerors. In Romans, Paul never minimises suffering, does he? His own life included beatings and imprisonments, shipwrecks, assassination attempts, and chronic illness. And he insists with, insists with absolute conviction that future rewards will outweigh all the present suffering. I don't know, like us as a family, we loved watching the Olympics when it was on. And it just reminded me that those athletes, you don't see the hours, years of training that they go through, the discipline that they have, the sacrifices they make, the physical pain and mental pain they go through to get there, all for the goal of winning a gold medal. So Christian life on earth may involve many difficulties, but the end result will make them seem worthwhile. Paul says also in Romans, not only good things will happen, but God works through the bad things for his good, for his purposes. That gives us hope. So even the difficult experiences can be used in God's overall plan for our lives, and nothing can separate us from God's love. So we may walk through dark valleys, but we need not fear any evil because God is with us. That's in Psalm 23, and that is a promise. That first reading we had today from 1 Peter, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Jesus is our living hope. He defeated death and sin, and he rose again to give us new life. So the resurrection is the reason that we have hope in a dark world. 
Jesus died so that we don't need to stay dead when we die, that we have this relationship with the Father forever. That is hope. We stand in hope in the midst of death, sickness, suffering, because we know that Jesus ultimately wins. You were on his mind. I was on his mind when he was suffering on the cross. So if Jesus didn't abandon us on the cross, why would he abandon us now? So just to summarise, Mikweh Israel, the God of hope, he was our hope in the past, he is our hope in the current storm, and he has promised to bring us to a future that has purpose and hope. Are we disappointed like Zachariah? This isn't how our life was supposed to be. Is there a stigma attached to your life that isn't wanted? It's stealing your hope, like Elizabeth. Has an inconvenience happened to you? Have your plans changed, like Joseph? Do you feel like Mary, fearful for the future, not sure what's going to happen next? Hope is here. We have to let these things go and choose to get back to where hope is on that map. We let go of disappointment, stigma, inconvenience, fear, whatever it is that's taking that hope from us. And we choose to move to hope. We ask God to fill us to overflowing supernaturally by the power of Holy Spirit. We are a signpost to hope for those who don't yet know him, for those who are walking in darkness. We have a hope of heaven, greater things to come. So I'm just going to end with a quote from Alan Redpath, who's my grandpa. He says, let's keep our chins up and our knees down because we are on the victory side. The God who is hope is here. Thank you.